Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Dundalk. With over 150 new and used cars to choose from, along with the full Renault commercial van range and finance arranged within the hour, there's never been a better time to visit Blackstone Motors in a relief road Dundalk. You're very welcome to Midweek Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. I have to get straight to business today. Demonic possession, spirit-inhabited buildings, the supernatural. My first guest today has encountered all of the aforementioned and is one of the few priests in Ireland who's performed an exorcism. Freedom from Evil Spirits is his new book and he's here with me today to talk about it, himself and what he does. I'm delighted to welcome Father Pat Collins to Late Lunch. Pat, good Thank to see you. Thank you very much, Sherry. Thank you for joining me on the show today. When I was growing up, Pat, uh, the mantra at home was God is good, the devil is evil. We were always taught that. It's my impression today, all these years on, as I move into the uh, mature stages of life, that the devil and evil are greater than ever. Is my impression correct? I think your impression from an experiential point of view is correct. I think the devil was always there and trying to impinge on the lives of people. But when you and I were growing up, Ireland was much more Christian and people were more committed to Christianity at that time. And from my point of view, unfortunately, in recent years, there's been a big drift away from the church. And it's not that people believe in nothing. It would appear that they believe in anything, that they're looking for answers, they're looking for spiritual meaning, and they will look in all kinds of peculiar places. And unfortunately, in doing that, um, often they're opening themselves unbeknownst to them uh, to the dark side. And it's I, I keep using the analogy, it's like people going into a village where they don't realise there's a very serious infection and they go in with good intentions, but they catch the infection. And it's no good saying, I didn't know it was there. You'll still catch it. And many people in our culture, they would be very doubtful about whether the devil exists anyway. Uh, they're doubtful about God's existence as well. But uh, the devil is there. And if he's given an opening, he will impinge on the people. So I'm finding there's a huge increase in the number of people who are casualties of this kind of evil. And then they're they're looking desperately for answers. And that's why they contact the likes of me and others who would be kind of able to help them. It's interesting when uh, you read the book, and I've read the book and, and I enjoyed it. I have to say it was a tough read. Yes. And you needed to concentrate reading it as well. But you touch on something there that jumped out at me. You talk a lot about people being anxious and anxiety in the world today and fearful as well. Are people of that ilk better hosts 
for the devil and evil. I have to be cautious in what I say here because most of us will suffer from fear and from anxiety. And I think I read somewhere that the 20th century, and I've no doubt the 21st century, is the century of anxiety. It's, It's there in the background in so many people's lives. Life is tough today. The pace and pressure of life really are hard to cope with. And people feel threatened. Maybe I'll lose my job. I'll lose my income. Maybe there will be ill health for my children or whatever it is. So it's there in the background like low-level noise. And it's not that that is demonic in any way. Yes. But fear and anxiety leave you more vulnerable, I think, to wrong solutions. And uh, maybe the evil one is able to exploit that fear and anxiety. It says in the Bible, it's in the second letter of Timothy, chapter 1, Paul says, the spirit you received is not a spirit of fear. Now, that's very true. So it's not coming from God, maybe coming from your human nature, but there's no doubt, like like a pianist, the devil will use people's fears to to, to get them to do things maybe that are sinful, maybe destructive. And I think a lot of people who are anxious and afraid may take a drink just to get them going or I'll be able to face that interview or I'll be able to go to the dance and and feel a bit more confidence if I have a few jars before I go. But you see, that can then develop into alcoholism and um, that will lead people to very irresponsible behaviour, perhaps, you know, telling lies, cheating and so on. And in these ways doors are beginning to open to the dark side. Now, I'm not saying at all that people who are alcoholic, I see alcoholism as an illness and not a spiritual malady, Mm. but it leaves people, and I think many of the listeners would understand what I'm saying, that it leaves people a bit more vulnerable to the dark side. Mm. And certainly people who have addictions end up doing dreadful things. Yes, and you write about this, and would you believe, one of the pages I've opened here, I made sure I had it today, is 77, because you talk about the addictions that people uh, succumb to in life. Alcohol is one, drugs another, pornography's in there, uh, you know, computers and the internet That's today, right. shopping, all these type of things. Um, these are then a route or a, a, an opportunity, you're saying, when people become vulnerable to these aspects of life for, again, evil to take hold. And if you think about it, Jerry, see, if if you have an addiction, say, to alcohol or drugs, and there are many other forms, mm. but we'll just take those two forms, you're making something created the number one in your life. Now, almost by definition, that's idolatry. You see, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no strange gods before me. But most uh, people who are addicted, if they're given a choice between God and the addiction, they're going to choose the addiction. Now, I, I think it's more weakness than badness, to tell you the truth. But it is a form of idolatry. And you see, if you're, if you're involved in idolatry, you are more open to the dark side because you're not relying on God. You're relying on drink or you're relying on drugs. And they're exploitable. It's interesting you're here today because I spoke yesterday what happened the Hall family and you're familiar with the case, the Claire yes. Byrne programme on, on Monday evening as well. And, and that man Alan Hall had an issue with an addiction as well. What he perpetrated was... It was appalling, wasn't it? most evil. Do you reckon that the dark side is involved there in what he did? Oh, it's not for me to, to pronounce on that. But if I talked in a more general yes. sense, I think that when you get appalling situations like that, 
is psychology enough to explain it? You see, you could get 10 people who would have the same problems as he had, but they don't kill the family. So why that thing to kill the family? Now, I'm sure psychiatrists and psychologists could come up with some sort of an explanation, but I'd be inclined to say maybe there's more there. Maybe there was something sinister impinging on the poor man's personality. And Jesus, when he was talking about the devil, he gives them two outstanding characteristics. He's a liar and a murderer. It's interesting, the word murder, that there's a tendency in evil to kill. And what he ended up doing was killing his own flesh and blood. I mean, it, it seems to go against nature, doesn't it? And you, you would, I'd have a suspicion, but no judgment about the situation. You've come across people, have you, that say to you, I am possessed, the devil is of me, within me. Have you, have you met people like that? Oh, many. But, uh, and do you believe them? Do you, have you no, seen- I don't. In the vast majority of cases, I don't believe them at all. And I, because I would have read up about psychiatric illnesses, not that I'm a psychiatrist or anything, but I would have read enough to know that it's a characteristic of many mental illnesses that people think there's something really evil inside them. So p- poor people who are schizophrenic will often have that impression. And I've had dads and mothers. I, I'm particularly touched when dads ring me up and say, my poor son is a schizophrenic and he keeps telling me that there's something evil inside him. Now, I would be inclined to say to the dad, but that's one of the characteristics of the illness. Don't don't take it seriously. Uh, That is not a sign that he needs an exorcism. And I think maybe the small print is saying, if only a priest prayed for me, he would drive this thing out and then I'd be fine. And of course, the answer is, no, you wouldn't be fine because you'd still be a schizophrenic. Mm. Now, one, I would always have the, the, a sense of reserve with these cases and say, just because a person's a schizophrenic doesn't mean that they can't be oppressed by an evil spirit. And you need discernment uh, to see, is it just psychological or is it psychological plus a spiritual element? But I, can't, I, I don't think I've come across any case of schizophrenia. There was one where I had a suspicion that it was more than schizophrenia. But you have met people who are certainly possessed. You've come across them. I've come across people who are very disturbed by evil spirits, and I've no doubt it was evil spirits. Mm. I'm still questioning in my mind whether I ever came across a, a real possession. Because I think we, we talk about oppression and possession. Oppression is where the evil spirit is impinging upon a part or many, maybe a number of parts of your personality, but not your entire personality. So you will get some people who are very oppressed and others who are less oppressed. And it, it, there's a kind of a, a vague grey line between very oppressed and possessed. But I would honestly say I don't think I've come across a genuine case, full-blown possession in all my years. You have been involved in exorcism yes. on an individual basis? Yes. Well, I'd usually, I would always have people with me yeah. when I'm, when I'm doing exorcism. But you are exorcism. the conduit. Yes, and I, and I would have been commissioned. I remember two bishops rang me up with about very difficult cases that their priests were dealing with and they weren't getting anywhere and they asked. I don't think I was very successful either, to tell you the truth. But I did see them and I had permission to do a solemn exorcism. So you have to have permission from the bishop to do a full-blown exorcism. 
when you go through that process and you have, as you say, a number of times and you're not sure what, you know what I mean, was achieved from it, is it worrying? Is, is, or do you feel that, you know, you're coming into contact with something that's really dangerous for you and for the person, obviously for the person? No, the I don't worry for myself, I must be honest, but I, I do feel a sense of failure because I, my heart goes out to these people. Gosh, if you'd announce a compassion, you'd feel for them because they're absolutely miserable and they're pleading with you, please get this blooming thing out of my life. And I would do my best. Uh, and I would be, th- I, I would have confidence in the Lord and say it's, it's all going to go in one, w- one session. But in fact, experience teaches you it doesn't all go in one session, and you have to return to prayer many times. And one of the reasons it's just like in medicine that you have to diagnose what's the root problem. Now, by definition, the devil is a trickster, and you'll be deceived. It's often very hard to get at the root problem. And there's no magic words that you can say that just get rid of everything. So it is this thing of discerning what, how did that evil spirit, in, how did it get an opening and impinge upon the person? And we have to pray about that. And Father Amorth, who is the most famous exorcist, he died about two or three years ago. He was operating in Rome and he wrote books about this subject. He said that he found, now he was the greatest exorcist of, of, of our time. He said that sometimes it took him three years to get people really clear of the, the, the negative influences mm. impinging on them. I want to head to a short break on late lunch. Father Pat Collins is with us. Very interesting. His new book is called Freedom from Evil Spirits. I've read it. I, I always give my copy away generally here on late lunch. He'll sign it for you as well. The question today is three numbers are associated with the devil. They're all the same. What are they? Text them in. Now, don't be afraid to. You'll be all right. Honestly, nothing will happen. We promise you. Father Pat's here with us today. We're all okay. He's actually after making the sign of the cross here. I can give you a visual of that if you're at home listening. Uh, Answers, please, to 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text. Back in a few moments. And if your home is possessed, maybe in a way you think the spirits in your home, we're going to come on to that one next with Father Pat. Will you talk to me a moment about you know, uh, homes and places where people live and others besides. I know you've got a, a call from hotels and places like that for you to come in and have a look at a room or an area that funny things are happening, Pat. And I remember a family in Slane, not far from here, came in to me one day and was telling me that in their home, things moved, genuinely mm. moved about the house and it was frightening. They had got used to it. Do you come across that a lot? I do. In fact, we made a television programme a number of years ago for Would You Believe?, and we went, visited a house. It ac- actually was in the north of Ireland. Mm. And it was absolutely weird. I mean, if the people were telling the truth, and of course, I always have a little if, but um, they were saying that uh, writing was appearing on the wall. And we did see the writing, but of course, who put it there? Um, phones were ringing one another in the house, the mobile phones. Um, holy water was freezing in the holy water fonts. Uh, crucifixes were flying off the wall. I remember there was a, a prayer, you know, printed on paper, pinned to the wall, and it went on fire. Um, and so th- there was all this kind of carry on going on in the house. Things were moving. Things were, they said, were disappearing. So we went and did an investigation. Now, I never came to a firm conclusion about what was happening there because I always had a little bit of a doubt. But I can tell you one thing that I've no doubt about. When we were coming to the end of that, 
you see, there's two possibilities when you have a house like that. One is that it's the disturbed spirit of a dead person and that they're looking for attention and that there's something incomplete in their life and they're relying on the living to do the completion. And the, it might have been somebody who died in the house, maybe even committed suicide in the house, you know, but there would be something traumatic concerned with that person's presence in the house. But the other possibility is that you would actually have an evil force in the house for whatever reason. Now, I was with an Anglican priest from the Church of Ireland, a wonderful man, Billy Lendrum, who since died, God rest him. But he and I were together on this uh, particular little project and we came to the conclusion that it was actually an evil spirit that was in the house, not the spirit of a dead person. And I was deputed to say a prayer and I remember I was praying in tongues and had my eyes shut and the man of the house wanted to vomit and he he had to run out of the kitchen where we were doing the prayer into the garden and uh, uh, the RTE interviewer ran out after him and said, what's wrong with you? And he said, oh God, I'm getting sick, which is often a sign that there's an evil spirit there, this propensity to vomit. And he said, by the way, he said, when I went through the door, something burnt my back and immediately the RTE guy pulled up his shirt and sure, there was a big burn mark across his back. How do you explain that? Was it all psychological? I mean, I know that you can hypnotise people and say, I'm going to hit you with something burning and a welt will come up on their back. So is it psychosomatic? But to me, I was leaning towards the conclusion there was some bad spirit there. Absolutely, in that place that at the place, time. Yeah. Yet the ladies who slain told me, no doubt about it. They invited me out, Pat. I was a little bit reluctant. They probably knew but that. You, to let go me and tell see you it. another story about, it, about the spirits of the dead, because I think it's more common. You see, if, a, if you're Catholic, you believe maybe they're in purgatory, that there's something unresolved. And um, I was talking about this. I was doing a training course in Dublin and one of the people attending the training course said, oh, I can illustrate what you're saying very clearly. He said, my daughter lives in a European country. I won't say which one it is. And she told me that her flat was haunted. And she often talked about it, but she stayed in the flat, which is extraordinary. And the dad said, you should investigate and see who lived in that flat before you. And they found out that a man who was mentally ill had lived there and that he had committed suicide. And um, she then relays this information to her father. And the father arranged to have a requiem mass said for the dead man. And um, a Father Michael Ross, who was a great priest in Dublin, who's since dead, God rest him. He celebrated the mass and he would have understood exactly what he was doing. But the result was there wasn't one dot of disturbance in that flat, even though it was in another country. See, your man had been released. His need to be prayed for had been heard and understood. And then he rested in peace. I just wonder, is there anybody listening today can relay an experience from their home, something unusual? If there is, give us a shout, 1850-715-958 or 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text. Got lots of comments for you. I'll not get to them all. Um, Jim has been on to say, you mentioned the church father and of course there was evil in the church. And you mentioned that to me just when we were off mic there as well. It's been to the fore in the Vatican in the last week with what's happened, the abuse scandals. You accept there's an evil there, wasn't there as but well? Do you know, do you know, Michael? The, many of us Catholics who are older will remember the prayer to Michael the Archangel. Mm. Now that was written by Pope Leo the Thirteenth at the beginning of the twentieth century. 
If you read the full prayer, he talks about the devil attacking at the heart of the church. And I remember saying Paul VI said in the early 70s that he could get the smell of sulfur in the sanctuary of the church. What he was saying, sure, if the devil is a good military man, he's going to attack at the core. And so, to me, it's not a surprise. I mean, Judas, do you remember it said that the devil had entered into his heart to betray Jesus? Even Jesus had a betrayer in his midst, and he had chosen him. But he turned out to be a a, a betrayer. And it's interesting, he commits suicide at the end of it. Mm, Interesting indeed to, to reflect on that. In general terms, look look at the look at the world. I know when you were starting off as a, as a young man, you were in Dachau uh, concentration camp. It's in the book there as well, and, and the impact that you felt the evil when you were there. But I was thinking, with you coming here today, the Nazis, the genocides in the Balkans, Rwanda, more recently the Rohingya people as well in Burma. What's happening in Syria, Iraq? My God Almighty, the evil and what's happening will good prevail? Does good always prevail? Well, I, I, I believe strongly that, uh, and this is in Romans chapter 8, I think it is, where sin abounds, God's grace will more abound. So what this Bible is saying is, evil will never have the last word. It will always belong to God and it'll be a, a word of vindication and victory in the end. But we have the parable of the weeds and the wheat growing together in the field. And I think all of us uh, know that good and evil are mixed up in the world. I meet people who are extraordinarily holy and extraordinarily good. And they do my heart give a little leap when I meet them. Sometimes actually tears come to my eyes when I see how good some people are and I feel the spirit of the living God is in them and that's what I'm seeing shining through. But I do meet people who you'd wonder whether there's any spirit in them other than an evil spirit Mm. and that they're bent on doing wrong all the time. So we live in a world of of light and darkness and um, they will be in contention all our lives. And we talk in spiritual terms of spiritual warfare, that we're, we're like soldiers in a battle and the battle will never end until the end times. Now, in the end times, we have a guarantee that God will intervene and good will finally prevail. But we are not going to live to see those days. So in our lifetime, it will be a constant battle between good and evil. There's no way away from that. That's uh, the bottom line. Freedom from Evil Spirits is the name of the book. Sheila's just been on to say, I got Father Pat's book and I'm 50 pages in. I can't put it down. I, I, I love it and I would recommend it. Thank you indeed, Sheila, for that nice comment there. We have a copy, a signed copy to give away today. The question is, there are three numbers associated with the devil. What are those three numbers? They're all the same number. Uh, text it in now to us to 086-1800-658 with your name and details. Or you can WhatsApp it for free as well and we'll pick somebody before the end of the show. Father Pat, it's been a pleasure having you with me on the show today. I've really enjoyed our conversation and I wish you well. Thank Thank you. Thank you very much. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Dundalk. Test drive the all-new fully electric Renault Zoe and the all-new Renault 1.3 Petrol Cajar today. With finance arranged within the hour, there's never been a better time to visit Blackstone Motors in a relief road Dundalk. 
I'm just thinking we're so enterprising on late lunch this week. The students from Kalosh de Riche yesterday, weren't they just fantastic young people? And today we carry on the enterprise entrepreneur theme because next week is a big week and we're going to hear about that in a moment. But this year again, uh, a great competition. It's called Ireland's Best Young Entrepreneur. And I can tell you this. In its history, it's been going five years now, the North East has done really well in this competition. So we're going to talk about it for the next while. So if you have a business idea, if you are a start-up business, or if you're established trading over 18 months, you may be interested in what we have to say, and this really could be for you. I'd like to welcome to the show three people you've met on late lunch in the past. Sarah Mallon is here. She's from the local enterprise office in Loud, and we're joined by two champions of the young entrepreneur, not even in the local heats here, but nationally as well. I'm delighted to welcome back to Late Lunch, Mark Baldwin from Scoover and Nikki Reddy is here from Celtic Adventures. You're all very welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me. Sarah, good to see you again. And maybe we'll start with yourself and uh, tell them again, what is this about? Ireland's best young entrepreneur. What's the purpose of this? Well, this uh, competition, as you said, it's in its fifth year. It's really to just give encouragement to young people to uh, think about starting their own business. And it covers the whole gambit, as you said, if you just have an idea. And sometimes people mightn't have the confidence to explore that idea, to look at self-employment. So this really is a structured safe programme that they can take some time out, explore the idea on that and find out about all the supports and talk to fellow people, fellow entrepreneurs who have the same sort of ideas as them, same spirit to want to try things. Or if you're just at a start-up stage and you need just that little bit of a move on to push yourself, this again, there's lots of different supports through it or if you're established too, you can always want to grow. And we have, of course, the regional heats. They happen first and then the winners from there go forward to the national finals. It starts at our county level. Yes. So every county in Ireland will have their own county final and they will um, award a prize to each of the three categories, idea, startup and established. Then it goes to the regional. So we're, I'm here today representing both Louth and Meath, Leo. Um, and so we will have Meath, Cavan, Monaghan, and Louth and that's our region so from that the regional winners from our area with those categories then will end up at Google headquarters in September and that's when it becomes a national final in it it really it's does very heated. And, and it's wonderful I've been there I know all about it it's a fantastic time as well people listening today will think oh god here I am in Louth or me then you're talking about regional and national Sure, my business idea or startup or even business sure we wouldn't have a prayer going all the way what do you say to them absolutely not I mean over the past I've been working on this programme for the last four years and the types of business that come through it you know they're from all different they can be retail they could be um, manufacturing they could be IT they could be adventure tourism they could be any the, the there's no sort of limit as to the type of business that can participate in that and I was talking to Nikki and Mark outside it's not all about winning it's not about the prizes it's the supports and the participation that's the big thing that you get out of taking part in this competition because you get a two-day boot camp where everybody, you know, they, t- they work through your business idea. You then get one-to-one mentoring um, and you a business plan. So it starts out at the very early. What we will have on the first, we'll have an enterprise day. So everyone that applies gets an opportunity to come to that so that we could have 60, 80 people at that. So everybody gets something out of it. Even if they enter and they don't get the whole way through, they will get one day's information on it enterprise supports and then they go through to the boot camp so it's 
I definitely wouldn't uh, rule out anyone applying if they don't think their business is never going to make it because... And what you're saying to me is you don't have to go the whole way. There are no. benefits from day one. As soon as you enter here, you're up quids already. You're in there. Absolutely. I mean, I, I was just talking to somebody last week and they said, you know, they, they, they haven't taken... It was two years since they've taken part in the competition. They're still using the business plan, the tools that they got there to grow their business. And, and, and I think Nicky and Mark will both back that up it's actually the the skills that you learn through that and the network that you make because all these people then they they form their own little network from working together and they can provide support and and backup so no it's definitely the taking part actually more than the, although yes. the prizes are not, oh, in listen, fairness. If, if you, you know. go all the way, and like the folks are going to talk to now, if you get to the national finals, it is tremendous. Let me bring Mark Baldwin in first. Mark, good to see you again. You're welcome back to Late Lunch. You've changed names since we saw you last. What did you start out with? What was the original name? Yes, yeah, so we started off as uh, Global Pod. <coughs> yes, that's what I remember you as, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Why the change in name? You're Scoover now. Yes, yeah, so we decided to change name. Firstly, I, I suppose we entered iBuy in the idea category and we had the idea around the name was GlobalPod. Now we felt that GlobalPod, I never knew how important a .com was for for our, our company. So I assumed GlobalPod.ie was perfectly fine. And when I decided to try and, 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 and set up the .com, uh, it turned out the, the name was gone. So ah, there's a number of problems, you know. Yeah, straight away you had to then obviously change tack exactly. on the name. And that's for anybody starting out. The that's first a good thing, piece of advice, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, the first thing you need to do is before you come up with that great name, just check is it at, at .com and also is it available as well. Because for us now, we're, we're growing internationally and the .com is just, it's opened up so many doors. So .com is crucial. IE is one thing, but .com is worldwide. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so this other name came to you obviously Scoover yeah so uh, it was School Vior yeah so, okay yeah. Yeah, so Scoover <laughs> and when it's put together exactly um, remind us again what are you about what was your idea that's developed now into a business yeah so I was, this time last year I was a secondary school teacher teaching history and geography uh, in Blanchardstown and I had an idea to create my own virtual reality content for my students so I decided to enter iBuy and it was through iBuy where I was able to take this idea of creating virtual reality environments um, and I've created a platform um, that caters for, I suppose, students from all over the world now. Uh, we create content for classrooms in a number of different countries um, and they essentially, students, they, they can experience uh, the burn or the Giants Causeway without actually leaving the classroom. So we're now trying to, to create these memorable experiences uh, for students. Uh, so that's that's what we do. Now, you are a fully-fledged business. Now, you wave goodbye to the teaching. Yes, yeah, so I, I, I'm just on, on a career break yeah. at the moment. Uh, the plan is, you know, I, I want to do this full-time. I love mm. what I do. I miss, obviously, I miss teaching. But I just feel what I'm doing now uh, has a bigger kind of there's a bigger opportunity to enhance the lives of students especially those who struggle to to, to read you know and remember mm. and that's what we're trying to do so we're trying to uh, enhance the lives of those students who really struggle um, to learn and this is applicable all over the world that's exactly it and even in the last month you know or the last two months we're now starting to see traction in the united states canada singapore brilliant? you know the philippines australia and we started with ireland but now it's it's just starting to grow a bit 
And if you're listening today, here was a fellow with a wee idea from County Mead. <laughs> and you might say to yourself, as I, we were talking with Sarah a moment ago, why would I? Why should I? What's the option? Look where he is now. You, you're getting great support as well, though, aren't yeah, you, financially? I have to say, from the eye boy, that gave us the validation we needed to say, hold on a minute, this idea might actually work. And that's, if, in terms of self-belief then, it really did help a lot. And then obviously the mentoring supports throughout the process of developing that business plan, the financials, and then actually looking at how much money we need to make this possible. You know, and I know having an idea is one thing, but executing it is a different mm-hmm. thing. So using the iBuy business plan, we've just been able to to hit those milestones every couple of months. Yeah. We've got people working for us now and we've just gained in the last month €50,000 to, to help us develop our, our platform even further. Isn't this a great story? So there's you and a many now? Uh, me, so I've one full-time and then one intern as well helping out and then we're also contracting work to by four others. So we've got an expert daughter on board, we've just signed a, a licensing deal with a, 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 a company in Prague who create 360 images so we can now create content for every classroom in the world. Um, so it's it's really exciting. <laughs> Give me another six months and we'll, we'll see how far we The world's your lobster. Oyster. <laughs> 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 Isn't that just... That, you know what? That does my heart good. It really does, Sarah. When you when you just hear that story, isn't isn't it fantastic from an idea? And and you just see that with. I mean, I'm so delighted for Mark. I haven't spoken to him since the regional final. And when I when I talked to him and saw how far he'd come on, like as you say, from an idea category, and there's nothing to stop him going back in out to another category, which we know other people have Have, done in the past. So it's great and. The, the energy and enthusiasm, I've talked about this before, I think when you're in that environment and you're in a quite, it's quite an intense programme I buy, but just the energy and enthusiasm that carries these people through and then to see them go on to great things, mm. it really is, it, it's fantastic. So you won Meath, you won Regional and you went to the Nationals as well, ultimately. Into the National final, yeah. Terrific. Yeah, and, yes, and you'd say for anybody listening today, go for this. Oh, go for it, you know, and I started off and I'm forever looking at the competition and even in Meath, there was 12 or 13 others in my category and I, I always in the back of my mind I thought, nah, this is going nowhere, mm. you know, I can go back to, to school and, you know, but because we won Meath then, I had the validation to say, do you know what, let's do this. <laughs> so it was, it was great, you know, it was life-changing. Yeah. Essentially life-changing, particularly well, in the idea. Yeah, you know. what a story this is. I want to head to a short break. She's sitting patiently by, that was the Meath <laughs> angle. Don't worry, we never forget about either county on LMFM radio we have loud sitting by to talk to us and she is another wonderful story as well Nikki Reddy's here from Celtic Adventures and we're going to hear her take on uh, Ireland's best young entrepreneur after this break have you got it if you have an idea or your early doors in business or you're established to become Ireland's best young entrepreneur 2019 there's still time to enter because the closing date is the 15th of March we're going to tell you more about that in a few moments we were talking a moment ago to Mark Baldwin from Scoover. Nikki Reddy's with us from Celtic Adventures out in beautiful Clarehead and she can tell you a story or two about this competition. I buy, if you hear us using that short uh, abbreviation, it's Ireland's best young entrepreneur. Nikki, it's great to see you again. Thank you for joining us on the show. Thanks for having me. Now, you didn't go at this once, but twice. Tell us the story around that. So I entered the first time in 2017 and I came runner up in the best established category. I was, I think I was pregnant probably the first time. So I, uh, the next, when the next year came around, I re-entered as I wanted to kind of give up my all. And then I ended up winning best established. 
which was terrific. <laughs> I was there. It was unbelievable to win that. You win county again, then regional, and you too went on to the national finals. Now, being an established business is a little bit different to what Mark was telling us there. What difference did this process or could it bring to the table for you? I suppose it pushes you out of your comfort zone. It made me knuckle down and look at the business and see what we wanted to gain from it, how we wanted to grow it. It helped us come up with new products and um, just to, to move into different areas that we weren't working in previous. Because you are a service industry and you provide in Clarehead, but you also are mobile, as we know. We you are travel mobile. about, don't you? We are indeed. And we have a new centre now opening up just outside Kells. Oh my God, yes. so you're into the Royal County. So we you are, are we really are loud. You are loud me now <laughs> at this stage. Good woman yourself. Yeah. Would that have happened, honestly, without iBuy and what has happened there and going through that process and all that's involved in that? Probably not in the time frame. Yeah. Um, just working with iBuy, like it, it gives you such a great foundation for your business. Your business plan is so in-depth. So many people look at your business plan. It changes so much in those three months. So like you really do, you get great feedback and it really helps you to kind of achieve your milestones, as Mark said. Now you're expanding. How many people are involved with you? Mark is uh, uh, trebling in size or even quadrupling (laughs) at the moment. What about yourself? I suppose it depends on the time of year. Now Mm. at the height of our season in midsummer, we could have up to about 30 people. It's significant, so, isn't it? It is, yeah. And a lot of people to look after and a lot of people to inculcate your ethos of what you want to be to them. Is that a difficult part to get everybody, you know, delivering the best service they can to your users? I suppose it's with their our employees are, are brilliant. They're like at the end of the day, they're representing our business. So we we tend to have a lot of fun. Like we'll do like yeah. staff barbecues, things like that. We'll do like big days out, like after a school tour season, we do a big trip away and things like that. And those things are really important, I think. So you know. motivating staff and, you know, money is one motivator, but they'll tell you that it's it's not the be all and end all. Oh, exactly. Like we've had, we've staff that have worked with us from day one. We have staff that have gone on to like, their, uh, their careers and stuff and they still come back and you know especially if there's a day out or something going on they'll suddenly yeah. reappear but it's we have we have a lovely sense of community around our business mm. which is great What about you know uh, when you go in front of a judging panel then which happens with this process as well I'm sure people are saying oh god I don't want to do that I'm shy I can't was that something you had to... Re- I suppose that was my the biggest thing I worried about. I'm so shy. And just standing up there and pitching in front of people, it was always, it was daunting, but it's so worthwhile. Mm. And that's how you learn. That's how you grow, is kind of throwing yourself mm. out of your comfort zone. You see Mark, the teacher, standing in front of unruly <laughs> classes. That wouldn't be a bother to him to do that. That's why I kept that question special for you. But I have to say, Sarah, I, I, I've, we've met Nikki a couple of times from she started this. She really has, you can see, in her. Look at her, she's come out of her box, she's so comfortable. Can I just say, I took a photograph <laughs> of the two of them out in the hallway there and there was no hesitation from Nikki from the past, she'd be no, no, no. <laughs> and to know that the personality behind the business is so important because I sit in um, and I sat in in the regional judging last year and when you hear people talk about their business and their enthusiasm you know, that, that sells it. The person is the business and that's often what you can see is on a business plan but when they come in and they pitch to the judges and they talk 
that's what does it. I've mm. seen where you think somebody might be a little bit ahead and then somebody comes in and delivers a pitch and people can see the passion. And when Nikki and I know Mark both spoke, you know, you can tell that they know their business inside out. They can answer any questions and they've got great confidence and belief in it. Where's this new Kells site and venue and when is it opening? Uh, well, they had their first day there today, so... Today? <laughs> God, isn't that just appropriate yeah. that you're here with us as well? Exactly, yeah. yeah. So um, it's it's open today. We've got a big event on over Easter. It's like where kids get to reenact the Fortnite game that they're all obsessed with. So they're all on there in Kells. And where are you Easter. in relation to Kells Town? Uh, just before you come to Kells. Um, in from Navin, is it? N- no. In from the Ardy side. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I know, yeah, yeah. Just there, just there on that, yeah. the Ardy Kells Road there. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so it's where there. we have the Avengers, the Mucka Kells. All right, great stuff. So uh, you're expanding. There you go. Congratulations to you. Great Thank feeling. You. Again, I, I did ask uh, Mark, you'd highly recommend this process from the established business point of view? Definitely, definitely. It's just the tools you get at the boot camp are just, they're unreal. The support you get from the Leo as well, like, and to think that that's like free mm. and they're always there to help you no mm. matter what stage you're at in your so, business. So you thought you knew it all and then you, you realise you don't. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's it's so worthwhile. But isn't that great? Yeah. That, that is a, is a real big selling point for, for, for this as well. So Sarah, back to you just to uh, crystallise a few of the dates here if you might for me as well. Sure. It's still open to apply and will be until the middle of March, yes? Yeah, March the 15th, that's the closing date and to apply, you just go on to www.ibye.ie and it's a short application form. It'll probably take you about five, ten minutes to complete. Um, you need to do it in one sitting, so just to, to be aware of that. But you just send that in to us. And once we receive that, then we'll be in touch with everybody. Our Enterprise Day this year in, well, I'm not sure about Meath, but in Lythe will be on the 23rd of March. And then but comes follows from that quickly and afterwards. And the Leos will be in touch with you on that. But just if anyone has any queries about it, next week is Enterprise Week. You've talked about that. And we have a full week of events from uh, all over the county in lots of different um, areas. But we are going to be having a live webinar on IBY. It's coming from the mill. And- Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. 
Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Drahada here, and we are going to have past participants, of which Nikki is one of them, and it will allow people to ask questions and to maybe talk to people who've been through it before and find out a little bit more information. And that's on the 6th at 7pm. But So that still gives you a few days to complete the application form. And yeah, it's so like, that's if you're not Wednesday. In, Wednesday next, yeah. the 6th at yeah. 7 o'clock, a webinar, and anyone can join in Absolutely. on that. And there still are a few days because the 15th, you were going to say Absolutely, there, is the closing yeah. date as well. So just to, to remind people as well, three categories, if you have an idea, an idea like this great man here for me, an idea, look where you could be in 12 months. What an example example is best startup business trading less than 18 months and then best established business over 18 months as Nikki was with Celtic Adventures. You need to be over 18 under 35 on the 31st of December this year 2019. Each county is a prize fund of 50k. Listen to that. That is there. It, and it's brilliant. And then you go on to the regional if you qualify and ultimately the national in September this year. It is, yeah. That is happening. So we'll hardly see you again because you're flying that high, Mr Baldwin, with the way things are going for you. I, I wish you well. Like You are a real example uh, of what can be achieved through this programme as well with an idea. So a great year ahead. Looking forward to the year ahead, Mark. Yeah. Can't wait. Yeah, it's yeah. Just, it's the man's jumping know. out of the seat here. <laughs> He'll not be back in the class. <laughs> I can say that for sure. Looking at him here today. Oh, look, I'm delighted for you. I really am. You're one of Thanks the good guys Thanks and best wishes to you. And the same to yourself, Nicky, for the on the wee counties we have. Congratulations on the expansion into me and uh, making such a success of your business as well and I wish you well as well too for the future. Sarah Mallon, thank you so much for taking them to us on late lunch this afternoon. Really do appreciate it and remember IBYE Ireland's Best Young Entrepreneur 2019.ie That's www.ibye.ie for more details. Get in there, check it out, enter for the moment folks. Thanks a million. Thank you. Thanks very much. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Dundalk. Test drive the all-new fully electric Renault Zoe and the all-new Renault 1.3 Petrol Cajar today. With finance arranged within the hour, there's never been a better time to visit Blackstone Motors in a relief road Dundalk. I suppose I don't, or maybe I do, have to tell you the dangers of a blood clot. It can be absolutely lethal. And sometimes we have symptoms and we sort of bat them away and say, ah, look, so we won't get that checked out. Wrong, wrong, wrong. You really should. We're going to talk about clots or thrombosis for the next while on Late Lunch because I'm joined on the show by Dr. Jeremy Sargent. He's consultant haematologist at Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital in Drogheda. And Anne-Marie O'Neill is here. She knows all about it and she is. Is, uh, the chair of Thrombosis Ireland. You're both very welcome to the show. Good to see you. Thanks, Thanks you very much. Anne-Marie, I just have to start with you because I'll tell you this, I've read many stories of people in my time sitting in this seat, but yours, I have to say, is simply remarkable. The number of brushes you've had with this. Now, can you tell me first, was yours uh, the pulmonary one, the pulmonary embolism or the deep vein, the PE, was it? The PE, yeah. When did it start? Let's go back to the beginning, the first time. Okay, when I was 30, I was um, I had I needed my gallbladder removed I had awful pain so I went into hospital had my gallbladder removed there was a bit of complication and I needed another surgery within a week which meant that I was completely immobile and unwell um, and the second week I got a, a I couldn't breathe I got a terrible chest pain and I couldn't breathe and it turned out that I had a pulmonary embolism so as a result of the surgery or being immobile in the hospital 
so that was fine. I was put on whatever medication was necessary and um, I was sent home and about, I just got on with my children, mm. minding, the, minding the kids. I had just had a baby earlier that year and I um, I just, I went back to work about two years later. I was still taking, uh, no, I was, I was off the medication after six months. So I just got on with my life, but nobody, uh, nobody told me really the signs and the symptoms to look out for really. And I never asked because I wasn't told it could ever happen again. And really I had no understanding of what had happened to me. Uh, I was just trying to get well after the surgery and I just looked on it as a complication. So there had been no real conversation. Um, five years later, out of the blue, I started to have some sharp pain in my chest. And if I'm truly honest, it was a vague memory that it was something similar that I'd experienced. But um, I didn't do anything about it. I was busy in work. I thought maybe I kept saying maybe I have pleurisy because I'd had pleurisy before. Um, I said, I have, a, I have some work to do, I have a project to get finished and I'll go to the hospital in about two weeks time because uh, who will mind the kids? And uh, I, I couldn't really afford to be out of work. Um, but sure, it didn't allow me to wait. <laughs> so a, a, about, an embolism doesn't just say, no. oh, sure, I'll, I'll wait for you until yeah. you're ready. About a week later, I had literally left it a week. Um, about a week later, I'm driving on the M50 with two babies in the back of the car and all of a sudden I realised I can't breathe. I was sucking air. It was like sucking air through a tiny straw. I was struggling. So I pulled in onto the hard shoulder, which probably shouldn't have done that either, phoned my husband and I said... And you need to meet me uh, at the nearest hospital. It wasn't the same hospital. I went to a different hospital, just the nearest one. I said, I'm going to A&E. You need to meet me meet, meet there and take the kids. So uh, I was subsequently diagnosed with uh, my second PE and absolutely lacerated for ignoring the symptoms. But I was, I realised afterwards, like, it really wasn't my fault because I didn't know. I didn't know I was to, what to look for and I wasn't sure and I didn't know as well that it was potentially fatal. I didn't well, know I'd put thing. my life at risk. Yeah, you actually were. And it's important mm. to say that, that that yeah. was a, a very, very and silly. Did they explain to, to you then? You know, you said the first time you, you didn't really. Did you understand at this stage? I don't think I had a full understanding at this stage. Even then, I was in hospital for a week. They did explain that it was a very dangerous thing. Um, it took a while for the penny to drop that I could have died from it. It did take a while. I just remember from that particular visit being told, really, don't get pregnant uh, because it, that'll increase your risk again. You've already had two and it probably wouldn't be a good idea. And I didn't really intend getting pregnant. But a year later, I was pregnant. Which, and I got the fright of my life. So Mother I, Nature works yeah. in funny ways, isn't it? Yeah. But just back to that second time. How did they, did they dissolve it at that stage? Yes, I was in hospital on and medication. And we on medication then full time. So then I was told I'm going to be on medication for okay. life. That obviously I had, a, I had a higher risk. They didn't really know why I had a higher risk, but I had a higher risk of getting a blood clot. So and because course, this happened for no reason, I hadn't yes. been on a long haul flight. I hadn't been in hospital. Um, I hadn't been ill. Um, I didn't have cancer. It, it just happened out of the blue. Um, You're obviously prone to it. Eh? I think I was obviously prone for prone to it, but I didn't know. And I had no idea if you had it once that it could happen again. Mm. Three times more likely to happen again. Everybody should know. If you've had it once, it's three times more likely to have it again. If you had it twice, I don't know. I'm sure the odds go up again. <laughs> so I'm sure they should have said to you, go on and get pregnant there anyway, rather than yeah. saying, don't get pregnant, and then you do. So the pregnancy then is a, a, a serious situation. It is, because I had to come off the medication that I was on, because it's not safe, mm. which meant that I was at higher risk. But there is another medication and um, that you have to inject 
um, in, into your tummy every single day of the pregnancy. And that was a lonely time. That's another issue. I didn't know anybody else that was going through this. No, I, there was nobody I could speak to um, to say that could assure me that my baby was going to be OK, that I was going to be OK. Um, it was a really, really lonely time. And that was one, that really was what spurred me on to to kind of set up something where people had somewhere to go for information. OK, in to find Ireland. out about this. Yeah. You're here today to tell the story. The pregnancy went through, the baby yeah, was born, fine, you were OK. Healthy. Was that it then? Was that the end of your brush with this? No. We're, we we come on about another t- 10 years, about approximately 10 years, and I was having some medical issues. I had fibroids. Um, now, nobody would even consider giving me a hysterectomy or anything for the fibroids in my womb. So they said there was this great procedure I could have, uh, like an embolization, it's called, where you have an injection into your femoral, femoral artery and it was supposed to stop the blood supply. Um, but my, you're injected into the artery, but I got a clot in my artery. Um, so then now I'd, I'd clots basically in my venous, in my veins. And now this time was the first time it's in my arterial system. Um, and this one probably has given me the the worst disability because I, I can't, uh, I definitely can't run uh, because I have a compromised blood supply into my leg. I have difficulty with stairs or, you know, climbing hills. Um, now I can stop and the pain leaves and I'll go again. So I can walk and I still have my leg, which I'm lucky about. But it is, I have a constant reminder of, of that particular blood clot. And you now are certainly on a medication every day. For life. Yes, for yes. life. And you take that and you haven't had blood clots or issues since. No. I think, and I had a lot of worry for a long time after those three occurrences. But I, what I've learned over the last while is that what will ease my worry is if I know, number one, what will increase my risk of ever getting mm. it again. So there's a certain list which Dr. Sargent will go through. What will increase my risk? The other thing I, I, I now know is what to look for, the signs of a DVT in my leg or the signs of a PE. I, and the third thing is I always know to act fast, to go and get medical attention immediately. I will never, ever make that mistake again because the penny has dropped. Flying. Well, flying is a risk, but it's only a small risk compared to a hospital stay. 3% of blood clots happen as a result of a long haul flight. But it's more, it's not even the flying in itself. It's more uh, be, traveling in an enclosed position. Yeah. Like, so you could be going uh, many hours on a train, you know, you're railing, or you could be many hours in a car driving across America or whatever. You know, you just, as long as you know you're in enclosed space, you need to know, you need to stop about every hour and, and get the blood flowing, get the yes. blood black flowing in you your leg. You know that. Yeah. yeah, I know it now, but we want everybody else to know it. I think you're the first person of nine lives I've met in my time <laughs> on this show. You've come through so much in your time. What a story you have. Let me bring uh, the doctor into the conversation this afternoon. He is, I'll remind you again, consultant haematologist at Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital, Dr. Jeremy Sargent. Jeremy, you're very welcome to Late Lunch. Thanks, Jerry. That's a remarkable story. It's a fantastic story. And I think, you know, the real motivation for us to be here today is to raise awareness for people because we encounter this. There's lots of people really aren't aware that they could be at risk of a blood clot. And sometimes even clinicians aren't aware of those risks uh, when they're faced with patients in front of them. Um, and I suppose um, certainly uh, Amory's story is remarkable, but it's, you know, it's a story that uh, will be 
echoed in conversations that I will have in my clinic because we hear of multiple uh, events in patients who seem to be at a higher risk of getting a thrombosis. Sometimes we can identify the reasons why that might be, but not always. Um, but I suppose if you look at particular risk factors, one of the one of the biggest one that we want to emphasise is that being admitted to hospital can increase your risk of thrombosis. Now, that may be for a number of reasons. So when you're admitted to hospital, you might be sick you, with an infection. You might, uh, you might be undergoing cancer treatment. You might be immobilised. And immobilisation is very common when you get into a hospital situation and you're off your feet because you're unwell, you can't move about. But usually it's a conspiracy of factors that increase the risk of hospital-associated thrombosis, meaning that if when we look at um, thrombosis and we're talking about deep venous thrombosis in the leg veins and pulmonary embolism, about 60% of those episodes are associated with a hospitalisation that's not just during the hospitalisation, but up to 90 days afterwards, people are at risk of getting a clot. So it's important that even after they've been discharged from hospital, that they're aware of symptoms and signs to look for. And I will go into that. So just to kind of emphasise that the, the uh, particular increased uh, risks can include pregnancy, as anne mentioned, but also being on oral contraceptive pills containing oestrogen. Um, also patients uh, who are having major surgery, so major orthopaedic or abdominal or gynecological surgery, they're, they're at risk. Your risk increases as you get older. As you get older than 60 years, th- those risks increase. And then um, there, there, I just want to mention the patients who have a diagnosis of cancer or of active cancer undergoing treatment for cancer. About one in five patients with cancer will develop a thrombosis. Now, they're not always aware of that, that that risk is so high for them, but they need to be aware of that. So I suppose what you want to make sure is patients understand what the symptoms to look for Absolutely are. crucial. Go yeah. on. So first of all, we'll talk about deep venous thrombosis, which is a clot arising in the deep veins in the leg. Okay, So that uh, will present with symptoms either of swelling in the leg or pain in the leg or the calf. And particularly some patients might complain of pain when they're trying to walk around. They'll notice the pain then. Um, But not everybody will have pain. And the swelling may seem minor. But usually one leg doesn't feel the same way as the other one. Okay, usually there's a difference. Okay, then and that can come on insidiously or it can come on quite quickly. So it's variable from one person to the next. Then the symptoms are are signs related to a pulmonary embolism where you've got a blood clot that's gone to the lung. Usually that has dislodged from a clot that's developed in the veins in the leg and moved to the circulation in the lung, blocking part of that circulation. And the symptoms people get with that are often shortness of breath, as Anne-Marie described, if she felt like sucking air through a straw, or pain in the chest. Often that pain is worse when you breathe in deep. And some people will cough up blood even uh, um, as part of the lung gets damaged. So symptoms like that, particularly lung or chest symptoms that come on suddenly, are always important to get checked out. Um, symptoms where the leg is swollen or painful also should be get, should check, be checked out. And particularly, we're saying, particularly if you've been in hospital within the last 90 days, you really need to think that you could be at risk of this. Let me take a short break. I want listeners to ponder on this for a minute. And if you're affected by anything we're talking about or if you 
experienced this or if you're worried about anything, you can give us a shout now. 086-1800-658. WhatsApp or text with your questions or comments. Or you can call in on 1850-715-958. It's a very, very important area to know about. We've heard Anne-Marie's story about the signs and symptoms as well. And we're going to talk more after this short break. Has lifestyle anything to do with this you know you know i'm talking about how we eat exercise all that type of stuff sure well we know that uh, carrying too much extra weight is an important risk factor for thrombosis so we'd recommend people who have had a clot before or think they might be at risk of a clot because of a, a family history of, of thrombosis that they would maintain a healthy weight um, and that that's really important physical activity also feeds into that as well so if you are mobile, if you're up and about in your feet, that will allow that calf muscle to work to pump the blood back to the heart because stasis of blood, blood lying stagnant in the, in the vessels increases your risk of thrombosis. So people who are immobilised, say they have a, 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 a broken their leg, they have a cast on, they're at higher risk of getting a clot. So keeping mobile is always uh, Very important. Useful. You mentioned family history there. Yes. If it's in your family, hereditary, yeah. it's more important to be on the ball with this. It's more important to be to be aware. Now, that doesn't mean that just because a family member has had a blood clot that you will automatically get one. But it may mark you as somebody who's more likely to get a blood clot. So if you come into hospital, give, being aware of that family history, being able to tell your doctor that your mother, your father, your brother had a blood clot before is very uh, useful information because then when the doctor goes to risk assess you in terms of your risk of getting a blood clot, that information will will, will feed into how they will manage your uh, case. So an assessment, a risk assessment is really important. Yes, and you can ask for a risk assessment. There are several models of risk assessment that can be done. And these are simple tools that will allow us to look at the patients that are most at risk of getting a blood clot and then offer them an intervention. And that intervention is usually a blood thinning medication called an anticoagulant. And that may be administered while they're in hospital and sometimes for a little time after they've left hospital if if we think that they're at high risk. Mm. And medication and ongoing, like Anne-Marie is on at the moment, is very successful? Yes, it is very successful at reducing the risk of recurrence in patients who've had clots. And, And the preventative medication to prevent people getting clots is associated with approximately 60% reduction in in events happening. So okay. it is successful. John's been on to us there with an interesting question and it's something I was going to come to. We've mentioned the calf muscles and the legs mm. and the pulmonary embolism in the lung and that mm. as well. He just says there, he's talking about his hand and his arm with severe pain moving from the hand to the arm. Can you get clots anywhere in your body? You can. Clots clots uh, occurring in the hand or the circulation, the upper limb are a little bit unusual. But what I'd suggest to him is that he goes and gets assessed with his uh, GP in the first instance. And if he needs to see a specialist from there, get re- referred on. Another question. I've had blood clots in my hand three times. So, mm-hmm. so, so they are in the hand. How likely am I to develop uh, it in my leg? Is, is my uh, legs at risk? So blood clots in the hand it sounds more like an arterial circulation problem, okay. which is a little bit different to DVT. Um, so uh, o- often those uh, clots that happen in circulations in small uh, vessels in the hand, they may be coming from uh, the they may be coming from the valves in the heart or a clot within the heart. 
I, again, without all the details, I can't, you know, respond to I a particular that. case, yeah. but but it's less likely to be the same process as a deep venous thrombosis in the leg. So far, I, I mentioned the flying to you, Anne-Marie. I don't want to put you off holidays or going abroad by any means. But you know yourself, long-haul flights where people are stuck in seats for a long time. What do you advise people? So what I advise people is the first thing you do is book an aisle seat. If you get stuck in the window, it's very hard to get up and get moving. Book an aisle seat. It's easy to get out. Every half hour, hour, just stand up, walk up and down the aisle. Or you can even do exercises just by rolling backwards and forwards on the ball of your uh, foot to, uh, to the, your heel. You can do that to keep the calf muscle working. This is particularly important if the flight is more than four hours. But there are additional things you can do. You can make sure you don't uh, take sedatives or alcohol, which make you sleepy and prevent you from moving. You make sure that you keep well hydrated with plenty of fluid. And those things will contribute uh, to uh, to lowering your risk of developing a clot. Another question that coming in thick and fast here. Is it advisable to wear flight socks even on short-haul flights if you're prone to blood clotting? Again, the whole thing about flight socks is trying to put pressure on the calf to keep the circulation going. And And the problem is there's very little good evidence backing up these interventions. However, a sensible and pragmatic approach is to get active and move. And if you can, get up, move around the, uh, the aisle. And that doesn't have to be for very long. It's just to get moving, OK? So the the, the jury is probably out on the efficacy of fl- flight socks. But uh, I would suggest movement, keeping hydrated, avoiding sedatives, all those things will help you. We have a lot of Dr Googles out there, I'd say. Should you take aspirin even as a precaution, says a listener? Again, this is an area where there is no evidence. Probably aspirin will reduce the risk of uh, venous thrombosis to some degree. However, patients may, you know, have reactions to aspirin. It can upset people's stomachs as well. So without good evidence, um, I wouldn't be advocating or recommending aspirin to most of my patients to uh, take uh, going on a flight. Let's uh, let's go back to Anne-Marie for a moment and talk about your organisation. Who are you? And of course, you have a big mm-hmm. interest in, in you're the chair of this. Yes. yes. So in 2015, um, we set up Thrombosis Ireland, which is a patient led support group for families and patients and basically uh, a place that a one-stop shop that they can get information, all of the information that we're discussing um, are all available from, for download from our website, thrombosisireland.ie. Um, or you can phone us on 87 363 4828 and uh, have a chat with us. Um, and we, if you email us or phone us, we'll send you an alert card with all the information or it is available from our website to download. So it's info at thrombosisireland.ie. It's a big uh, matter, isn't it, for for a lot of people? You've you've seen this and the response you've had since yeah. you've set this up. There is an absolute need for Thrombosis Ireland for somewhere to go for the information. So many people just don't know anything about blood clots, and the message we're trying to get across is that blood clots can affect anybody. But if we're armed with this little bit of information we can save lives. You can save yourself, save your family, save your friends. So the three things I will say, make sure that you know and you'll get the information from our website or from the alert card that we post you if you contact us. It's number one, 
know what increases your risk. There's a list of things that increase your risk. If you know what increases your risk going through the rest of your life, then you will know to be on alert. Number two, know the signs to look for. So know like heat in the leg, swelling in the leg, pain in the leg or breathlessness, coughing up blood, sharp pain in the chest. If you know those signs, always err on the side of caution. And the third thing is get immediate medical attention. I think those are real good words to end our conversation on today. It's been really interesting. Thank you so much, both of you, for coming in to us on Late Lunch You're this afternoon. Welcome. Dr. Thank Jeremy you. Sargent, consultant, haematologist at Our Lady of Lourdes Hospital, and Anne Marie O'Neill, chair of Thrombosis Ireland. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Dundalk. Test drive the all new fully electric Renault Zoe and the all new Renault 1.3 Petrol Cajar today. With finance arranged within the hour, there's never been a better time to visit Blackstone Motors in a relief road Dundalk. Father Pat Collins with us, top of the show, his new book, Freedom from Evil Spirits. Copy going to Rose Toomey this afternoon. 666 was the answer I was looking for. I wonder why was I asking that question and looking for that number? Can you put two and two together? Anyway, we have another competition for you now before the show finishes. Dundalk Stadium have a very exciting night lined up for you this Friday with a Kentucky Derby race night. The Kentucky Derby is known as America's greatest race and the most exciting two minutes in sport happens every year at Louisville, Kentucky. But this Friday, it's Dundalk Stadium hosting horse and greyhound racing, featuring the European road to the Kentucky Derby Bet Victor Patton Stakes, followed by live music from Sugartown Road after the racing. Two tickets up for grabs today, and you could be in the hat if you win the two tickets for a beautiful four-course meal at the View Restaurant at the stadium. Here's the question. It's dog collars or covers again. The dog and trap number two. What colour of bib or vest do they wear? The dog and trap two. Answers to 86 658 WhatsApp or text with your name and details and you could be going to that big night at Dundalk Stadium this coming weekend. Louise, you have a comment there about Dr Jeremy Sargent who was with us before News and Sport. I do, just after your interview there about thrombosis, uh, Serena Wilson Facebooked us. Just to say a big thank you to Dr Jeremy Sargent who treated her partner Damien for lymphoma and he was an absolute gentleman, she says. Thank you indeed for that lovely comment and then we'll pass it on to the doctor for sure. We were talking about antisocial behaviour yesterday, Louise. A couple of more incidents to highlight. This is a shocking one, Thank isn't it? it? Oh my God. The students at the Rampart National School outside Dundalk came back from the midterm break on Monday to find their brand new polytunnel, which cost €2,000, had been slashed to pieces. What kind of moronic people are there about? The school has been tending to raise beds for the last 10 years and had decided to take gardening for their students as a step uh, a step further in that direction to promote growing, to produce growing at an early age or to promote growing and produce at an early age. Um, they'd literally only taken delivery of the polytunnel. Which hadn't even been used. It'll take a thousand euro to fix it. Isn't that shocking? Yeah, it's desperate. Two thousand euro for a polytunnel at Rampart National School in Dundalk and it in shreds and it only installed, teaching children to sow seeds, to plant, to grow. It's deplorable. It'll cost a thousand euro to fix it. Holy God. Don't let me use the words I'd like to use on radio this afternoon. And also, back to me, slain GFC members are reeling today after being hit by a third burglary. In just over two years, thieves robbed strimmers, lawnmowers and other items that the club need on a day-to-day basis. A club providing an outlet, facilities for young people, volunteers there. And they'll probably be hit by more higher insurance now, will they? Oh, that's just, again... Just a thought. Thugs, low-life, 
scum, you name it. I could use a few more. I won't go down that road. Anyone who noticed anything, please, around Slane's Grounds, the Slane Gaelic Football Club, please get in contact with a club member or the Gardaí. Go to the Gardaí if you saw anything suspicious. They'll have no luck, and I hope they have no luck, to be honest with you. Anyway, it is this week, Eating Disorder Week, and up next, we're joined by Dr Natasha Tai. You may not know, but this week is Eating Disorder Awareness Week, so we were having a chat, myself and Louise, and who are we going to get in to chat, talk about this? And we dipped into the archives, and who came up but somebody who was with us on late lunch on many occasions a few years back, and I'm delighted to welcome her back to the show today. It's Dr Natasha Tai, and she's a psychologist. Therapist Natasha, it really is good to see you again. Really good to be here, Jerry. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for joining us on the show. I I said this to you a moment ago, then I think I may have said this to you before. You are not someone who you would look at and think had to deal with a major eating disorder. Mm -hmm. Is that you know typical or atypical of people who? As I said, it depends on which one you go for, or not necessarily which one chooses you. But um, so, yeah, sometimes this is the mistake we make. We assume that it has a a huge physical appearance when it's all what's happening on the inside. It's all the inner space. So whether you're three stone, 33 stone, it's irrelevant. That same conflict, the inner conflict, is what creates self-sabotage. It's why we self-harm. If we don't know how to self-soothe, if we don't know how to calm or be at ease, the brain will find something to do. You know, that's the, that's the intelligence of the brain. It doesn't give a damn if it's right or wrong or if it works. I mean, it just cares that it works. For you, how did this manifest? What type of disorder had you to deal with? OK, I suppose the best way of bringing it across, if you don't mind, when I go to schools, this is how I tell the story. I say, once upon a time, there was a girl that was standing at the side of a riverbank and the heavens opened and it just started tormenting rain down. The ground gave way beneath her. She fell into the river, was drowning. And a log comes down river. So, of course, she grabs onto the log and the log keeps her afloat. Some will say it saves her life until she sees the shore and she can't get there now because she's dragging this big old log around and she's well-intentioned, loved ones shouting from the river shore, just let go of the log. So that's the analogy I use, that the log is a thing that actually keeps a person afloat when their emotions are overwhelming to them. So it's very easy to pin this on any particular piece. It's always to do with what's happening the inside, not necessarily the outside. You can have perfect parents and find yourself an eating disorder. You can have no parents and find yourself an eating disorder. It is a solution to an inner problem. It so, becomes a problem, but down the line. So you had a problem, and and this is the way it manifested. But what particularly was the eating disorder? Were you overeating, undereating, okay. bulimia? Okay. What was it? Well, for me, I from a very young age, and anybody I deal or treat will say from a very very beginning, even their parents will notice there was something about this particular child: an oversensitivity, um, a desire to please, a desire to make the world a better place, to have other people at ease around them. Because there's a huge uncertainty and a fear. I suppose really, it's a hyper sensitive nervous system. So rather than being anything wrong, the system is overworking. So it's overdoing its job, overcorrecting all the time. It's the very first time I dieted, because not everybody who diets gets anorexia. Not everybody who smokes becomes a smoker. But when I restricted my meals, when I skipped a meal, I felt good. 
I felt finally the noises, the sounds, the, the overwhelm lessened somewhat. Of course, I wasn't really good at that. I started to binge, started to get sick, started to do all the other things. And each one of them delivered. Each one of them gave me a hit because my nervous system was wired to get a soothe from that, to get a, a numbing or distracting from that. For somebody else, it's painful when they don't go without eating because their nervous system is not compromised with their brain chemistry. So therefore, they don't get a high from it because there was no low perhaps to begin with. But for me, I would get a high from it. And then, of course, you'd eat something. And for other people who treat anorexia, they'd say, just eat something, you'll feel better. But that's not true. To the contrary, when you eat and you're trying to do anorexia, you feel like a failure, you feel overwhelmed, you feel like you've totally, it's all been for nothing. And this huge guilt, remorse, shame. And they're the shadow emotions that get tickled in eating disorder, shame and guilt. They're the drivers of it and they're the ones that we most grapple with, whether you're an alcoholic or a drug addict, whatever you do. How long did you grapple with this? I'd say all in all, I was thinking of that because I thought you might ask me, all in all from the age of 15 to 25. And that would have been acute and chronic simultaneously, all the while cycling from anorexia to bulimia to binge eating, as I would try and get a handle on it. I would try to instill some self-governance. And of course, you can't do that because the truth is you're fighting your own brain chemistry and it's always more powerful than you. Ten years Mm -hmm. of swings from Mm -hmm. denying to overeating Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. getting rid of it pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Physically, how are you? Before we talk about it, come back to the mental side. Were were you really thin? Did you? I did get underweight, not as underweight as a lot of people I treat. And this is the thing we have to get, we have to be curious or be safe around these, these figures. One particular girl I treated, she went as low as three and a half stone. Now I say that not to shock, but to impress upon. Some bodies can go very low. Others could actually die of a heart attack before they even get to five stone or six stone. So there is no, everybody's a different frame. That girl to this day is very, very slim. Uh, If you were to look at her, you might say, okay, that girl perhaps restricts her food, but you certainly wouldn't say that she's anorexia. So as I said before you, I'd be average weight because my time was spent really with bulimia more so. And um, so yes, post-recovery with anorexia, you may or may not. There might be a hangover, physical hangover of the perhaps being restriction. With bulimia, perhaps more of an average. So it really, but again, that just distracts from the real stuff. That's all the gunk that's going on beneath the scenes that we don't see. By the time you know an eating disorder is happening for your child or a loved one, believe me, that story has been telling itself 10, 10, 15, 20 years prior internally by the time it catches up and shows itself physically. You are out and about, you're in schools. Uh, You were talking to Louise, my producer, and you said that children as young as five girls in the playground have been overheard talking about being fat Mm -hmm. and diets. Mm-hmm. What? For sure. But it's everywhere. It's pervasive. If you switch on anything on the TV, they're selling you beauty, glamour, what it looks like to, to be perfect, all of this. And the truth is we have never been more unwell, more anxious, more nervous, more neurotic. <laughs> Our children are getting more nutrition, so they're, getting, they're, they're more intelligent. But with being more intelligent, we become more neurotic, which is why we're wanting more now. And whatever we think more is, prettier, thinner, whatever your currency is, whatever's being modelled in the society, home. So the- those so-called ideals, aspirations that are being pumped out to children as young as five 
are the underpinning factor. You know, when they start talking about, I'm fat, I need to diet, things mm. like that. Mm. This is where it's coming from. Yes and no. It depends on, what, like, if I was a scientist, I'll say to it's biochemistry, it's hardwired, mm. just like in her brown eyes or her talent for music. Sometimes, I mean, I was in the rest of Ireland, very sheltered. There were no fashion magazines. I didn't, I wasn't pumped into, into me that being thin is better. For me, I was accidentally slipping upon something that did numb me and did help me with my emotions. So it's very easy to get on the bandwagon and blame the media and blame all this stuff. It's not so simple. I mean, if you've got a healthy, robust, um, I suppose, awareness of yourself, where you fit in the world, if you're comfortable in your own skin, eating disorders, any of these things, they're not going to hook you, they're not going to fish hook you. But if you're any way vulnerable at all, you are going to hang yourself on some particular hook because it works. This is the thing. Isn't that funny? It goes back to my first guest today, Father Pat Collins, who was talking about evil and the devil and a vulnerability that can be exploited there. So it's a vulnerability here as well. So there's always issues underpinning the eating disorder. Yes. Deeper issues. They don't have to be huge. Now, this is the thing. Some people assume one must have been totally, grossly abused and neglected in order to trigger this. And this puts a lot of shame and a lot of guilt on parenting and different persons. That's not true. I've worked with people who've had serious sexual abuse as a child that can get an eating disorder and one who had never had anything other than an internal criticism of themselves occur that no one outside them ever said boo to them. But internally... That was their inner narrative. They were believing their own hypnosis. So you must treat the symptoms. What you do is... Because... Mm, see, it's, it's a funny thing. I mean, this is why so many people don't like to touch eating disorders because they are highly complex conditions. The truth is when somebody presents, no matter what they're struggling with, that log, for example, you don't go teaching someone to swim while they're drowning. You do not take off of them whatever it is that's keeping them afloat. You simply understand and appreciate where they are in that moment and give them a better blueprint, a better skill set by which they can be who they are in the world. And sometimes that is somebody that's incredibly intuitive and in and sensitive and to this day I feel still everything around me. So those dials were turned up when I was born. I choose not to be on medication. I choose not to do a disorder or any pattern like that anymore. I choose to be with and sit in the shit sometimes in the day and find a way to breathe through it, to sound through it. You know, a lot of people come into me the way I treat is really through light, sound and breath. A lot of this fear is so deep language can't touch it. So this is why it's beyond counselling sometimes. There's such pain. It's a pain body. Sometimes we're not born equal. Some people are born with a larger pain body, i.e. they absorb pain from a younger age, they take everything on. These are the children, like I came from a religious home. I was saying the rosary at five, praying would be nuclear war. Like, that's the stuff I got in my head and I was worried about. So there is a huge worry factor that people, any addict carries around. As a friend once said to me, the only difference, one of the differences between a heavy drinker and an alcoholic is the alcoholic will beat himself up with shame and guilt for what he may or may not have done. The heavy drinker might just say, blow it off, feck it and go to work, you know, until the next weekend again. So it's very easy to hang everything on the substance or the behaviour instead of actually looking to what's driving it. Mm. And that's what you did to overcome eventually yes. for yourself. And you've walked the walk, so I'm not, I'm not surprised you can well talk the talk now with people. A couple of things just before we finish up. It, it can be learned. You know, this... Yes, it can be modelled. If one were to see somebody doing something, monkey see, monkey does. So um, I suppose how I tripled over uh, bulimia is in boarding school. 
one of my girlfriends. We had eaten a lot of food and she'd gone into the cubicle next to me and I could hear the sound coming. I was like, what are you doing? And she said, well, I'm getting rid of it to make room for more. And that was the first time I had ever thought, what? So, yes, this is very true. You have to be careful in how we're showing up. And traditionally, you would have said it's a female thing. Not so now. The numbers have really shifted. Absolutely. I'm seeing a lot of men. And as I said, because I'm here to speak about eating disorders, that's the currency I'll talk to that whether it's jockeys, whether it's somebody who's putting a lot of pressure, either for through physicality, want to look a certain way or because of their profession, that yes, they will find ways to, to measure that and police it. Um, you do a lot of work in this area. You visit schools, you're experienced in it as well. For people listening today, how would they contact you if they have an issue with an eating disorder? What's the best way to get in okay. touch with Natasha Tai? I suppose Ty? the best way, I suppose, is just to email me. Or they can telephone me, I don't mind. Okay. But I'd rather an email. So okay, so and Natasha will leave the details here off 1850 with Breed. So you can call into the LMFM number. We'll have Natasha's email and details there if you are concerned or it's affecting you. Anything we've been talking about today. It's too long since we spoke. We'll have yes. to do this again soon. It really is great to see you again. You and thank you for joining us on this particular week to talk about eating disorders. Dr. Natasha Tai, it's been a pleasure. Pleasure. Thank you very thank much. You. Thank you. That's almost a lot on late lunch for this afternoon. Just tell you that the dog in trap number two wears a blue collar and Marie Kinlan says that and she is the tickets for Dundalk Stadium for Friday night and could be winning the meal there as well, which we'll draw on Friday. Anyway, have a lovely evening. We'll see you back for late lunch Thursday, half one. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors Dundalk. Test drive the all-new fully electric Renault Zoe and the all-new Renault 1.3 Petrol Cajar today. With finance arranged within the hour, there's never been a better time to visit Blackstone Motors in a relief road Dundalk.